Well, John and I are going to have to talk over, and I'm going to give a short word next time and then let John preach. That was wonderful, John. I feel that, the, that what John was sharing, and especially the things of the Lord in this hour, we tend to be a little bit like Moses. That's probably a good comparison to think you're like Moses in some sense. But when Moses was approached by God, and God told him that you're going to have to go and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go, Moses' response, his response, his looking at God, his response was, I do not have the ability. I'm not even a speaker. And you're asking me to persuasively go and tell the Pharaoh he's got to let people. I'm, I'm not a speaker. His kind of first thing was, I think you have the wrong person, which you and I know that that's the most ridiculous thing you can tell God. I do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't say it blatantly, but I say sometimes, Lord, couldn't somebody else cover that? And he's talking to me about me covering that. But Moses' reaction was almost exclusively based on his own strength. He was looking at what's in front of him and what can I do about it. Um, many people here, and John, you were certainly sharing this, we face situations where our own strength will without a doubt not get us through. The tendency in life is to say, I would like to not be in those situations where it's beyond my strength to handle it. When Candy was looking at getting, uh, you know, getting her daughter through with that wheelchair, there was a physical strength problem. I have been there where I didn't have the physical strength. Uh, I've had some mornings where I got up, I was just sharing this with Dick as we started, where I felt like I told the Lord, you have got to get me through 10 o'clock, then you have got to get me through 12 o'clock, and then 2 o'clock, and then 4 o'clock, and then 6 o'clock. Now, I think I can handle from 6 o'clock on, but you have got to get me through the day. I can't handle even a two-hour span that's going on. And Paul spoke to this and said, when I am weak then I am strong. He didn't say, then he is strong. He said, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Because he had given himself over to the Lord. And he knew the Lord's strength within him, and it was strength that he had. When I am weak, I am strong. But I'm without a doubt a person who likes to move away from the places where I'm going to be definitely weak. I'm saying this because we have our ideas and plans about the way things should work and about other people as well. And so often these things don't happen and they don't happen according to our plan. And the Lord put on my heart the verse in Isaiah 4 and I want to share this because it is something that we're experiencing that's causing lots of problems right now. And in that day, verse 1 and 2, And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and provide our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, 
and the fruit of the land shall be excellent to those who have escaped of Israel. And I remember, I think I heard Don Murphy preach on this originally and to share this. The natural tendency that we have is not to leave God out of the picture, but to have God bless what we want to do. I want to say that again. Our natural tendency is not to leave God out of the picture, but to have God bless what we want to do. We want to be called by his name. We want to be called by his name to take away our reproach. We do not want it to be, this is my idea. This is something that is valuable because I said it. We want the stamp of the Almighty on what we are doing. But we want to do our own thing. We want to eat our own bread and provide our own clothes, do it our way, but have his name on top of it. Now, when Jesus ran into this, this was a huge thing. And he ran into it with the scribes and Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees were people who were immensely intellectually knowledgeable of the scriptures. So if you came up to the scribes and Pharisees and you asked them about what was in the Old Testament, they knew it and they knew it in detail. And yet to them, Jesus said, you err because you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. He said that to the scribes and the Pharisees. Now imagine if you were a math teacher and you taught second year algebra and you had taught second year algebra for 20 years and someone came up to you and said, you err because you know not second year algebra. You would say to that person, you're out of your head. I know second year algebra. And this is essentially what they were saying to Jesus. We know this. And he looked at them and said, you have intellectually reviewed it. You have read the words and read the words many times, but you don't know them. And after Jesus died, remember when they met with him on the road and it said of Jesus how he opened up the scriptures to us. Well, the scriptures had been there, but Jesus opened them up. He revealed them. And there is a revelation that has to come from God to be able to understand God's word. And Jesus spoke on this over and over. He said, to, them, to you it's been given to know, to know to them not. And then he would say of them, their eyes are as they are covered by a veil. They read, but they do not understand. And so when he spoke to them in Mark 7, he said in verse 5 through 7, and the Pharisees and the scribes kept asking Jesus, why do your disciples not order their way of living according to the tradition handed down by the forefathers, but eat with hands that are unwashed? And he said to them, truly did Isaiah prophesy of you, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart holds itself far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You disregard um, the commandment of God and cling to the tradition of men. 
And he said to them, you, have a, you are experts at rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. So he, you know, instead of jumping in and talking about hand washing, he jumped in and went right to the meat of the matter. Where is your heart? Your heart is that you want God's stamp on what you want to do. And truly did Isaiah prophesy of you that you worship me in vain. Now, if you were to tell a Pharisee they were worshiping God in vain, you have cut them. That is stabbing them in the heart. They can't walk away going, well, it's really okay if I miss out on worship. That's not an important thing. That was absolutely crucial. And to say you worship God in vain was a horrible thing to say to them. But Jesus said it, and he followed it up by saying, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God for the traditions of men. Now, one of the things that the Lord is speaking to the church and to us as part of the church today is, take a look at what you're doing in your heart to see if you're asking God to bless your ways or whether you're asking God that you walk in his ways. Whether you're asking God to bless your ways or whether you're asking God to walk in his ways. My daughter um, worked in Young Life at the University of Georgia for a while. And they had some Young Life deals with high schools and they had kind of a plan and they worked through the summer and had an approach they were going to do that had this event and that event and bringing people in and letting them hear the gospel and all these things that were going on. And I think the work of Young Life is absolutely great. But she said that they were like eight months into the year and it just wasn't going right. They just weren't having kids respond to the gospel. They did everything on their agenda, but it wasn't popping out right. And what she said was that they stopped and prayed and sought the Lord. And essentially the Lord said, you've run away with your agenda and you left me back here. And they just stopped and said to the Lord, let us walk in what you want done. If you want us to have this agenda, fine. If you don't, let us walk in what you were done. And then in the next six months, all of a sudden they saw the fruit of what God does. And they saw kids come to him, and it wasn't the ways it normally happens. Most of us here have got stories that sound absolutely ridiculous when you're thinking about properly ordering life. I, I know stories from Larry back at Emory. You just can't plan things to go this way. I had one fellow that I went on a lay witness mission with when I can't remember, I, maybe freshman in college. Maybe a senior in high school, can't remember. Nice guy, and we went up to some church in Tennessee, and we were coming back. We got lost in the mountains, that's another story. But the guy said, there's a speaker that's going to be coming to Atlanta, and you might want to, you probably, he didn't say you might. He said, I think it'd be a good idea for you to go hear this guy. And so, at the time, I had no knowledge of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, nothing. But this guy on the lay witness mission was talking you know, there's something more in the Lord than just being saved. And you need to pay attention to what he did to equip the disciples. And I thought about that and said, yeah, I mean, that's probably... So he said, go hear this guy. 
Well, this guy was in some church, I can't remember it now, but it was, it was up north Dunwoody-ish, Sandy Springs area. And Gary Simmons and I went to hear this guy talk. Can't even remember his name. And of course, since we were new, we sat two-thirds back, you know, two-thirds back in the thing. And the guy, and you got to hear how this happened. The guy opens up, and it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't the regular morning service. This guy had come in, and I don't know, 50, 70 people there. And he said, well, before I say anything, before I start to teach on anything, let me just ask, is there anybody in this room who has not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? I mean, he just opened up. He didn't say, my name is John Smith. He just started off as, is there anybody in this room that has not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And Gary and I looked at each other and said, we've not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, I didn't know this guy from anybody, but he just said it. So we raised our hands and said, well, we haven't received it. I think... There were only like three other hands in the whole place. So it was, I think, a good group of people. But he said, well, were you willing to come forward and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And we just said, yes. And so we came forward. And it was, it was not the way it should have gone. Do you know what I mean? He didn't give the talk and we get moved by the Spirit of God. He just said, is there anybody here? And that's the way that I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Gary as well. It was, but it was just responding to that one thing that guy did and going to that one talk. Well, it obviously changed my whole life. But you see, God works things in ways we're not putting together. He uses people we're not planning to use, and he puts us in dark places we would never walk in so we can be light to people who would never see light if we weren't there. And it's not our natural inclination, but it's God's way. You just got to think about Philip ministering to the eunuch. Very difficult for Philip to get up in the morning and God to say, I want you to go out on this road where this guy is leaving, heading back to his country, which is a long way, and I want you to join with his chariot. He was going out into the wilderness. He went out, ministered to the, to the, to the um, Ethiopian. And what does it say in the scripture? That he was caught up by the Spirit of God and transported to another town which was 20 miles away. Well now, that is not the way you would see your day if you were saying, what is God going to do to me once I finish drinking my coffee this morning? Do you see? But this is the way that God works. And when you read in the scriptures and you see what happens, things happen you would not peg. People follow Paul. And you have a woman following Paul who has a spirit of divination. And it said that she would go around and saying, this is the man from the Most High. And she was really bothering Paul. Well, <coughs> if I was God, I would say, let's keep her to the side so people can clearly hear the word of Paul and understand the message. It is so impossible to hear when someone else is talking. But it says that Paul put up with her for a while, and then he turned and he cast the spirit out. Well, the people who were making money because she had a spirit of divination rose up and they really got mad at Paul and they got thrown in jail for that, for doing that righteous act of the Lord, for setting someone free. But it's not the way I would have set up the way you enter into and talk to a new group of people. Have a woman with a divination. But 
It says in the scripture that Paul did so many miracles in all these places that people came to him and recognized that he was sent of God. So God does things with purposes and plans we don't have. And he's asking us, don't ask me to bless you and your plans, but I want you to step up because I have steps for you to walk in that I have planned from the foundation of the world. And that's in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we quote these verses, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But after we finish that verse, it says that we might walk in the things which God prepared for us from the beginning of time. That he saved us not to sit on the porch and be saved, but he saved us to walk in places that he ordained that we should be. I am always interested in people who come back from these death experiences. It sounds like nine out of ten of them have something from the Lord saying, there is work still for you to do, and you need to go back and do it. That's the thing. The Lord has got us to go to places that we need. So when, that he needs. So when we're looking at what's going on right now, there is a tremendous tendency to say, in this world, in the church, in anything else, let's invoke the name of Jesus to, to give glory to what we're doing. But what we really want to do is the thing we want to do. And the Lord is an accessory. But the next verse says, but in that day, the branch of the Lord will be glorious. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be glorious. Those who truly go after the Lord to follow the Lord, to seek the Lord, they will be glorious. I couldn't help but just feel it when John was talking. You could feel that. Now, in the scripture, this is one of the things that helps us with wickedness. It always bothers me that there's so much wickedness that isn't stamped out. I don't know if it bothers you, but I don't like wickedness to be alive. I would like to stamp it out. Now, it is going to be stamped out after this creation. It's here really for only a relatively short period of time. But it bothers me when wickedness is not there and when it seems that the wicked prosper. Now in Psalm 73, the psalmist is having the same problem with, with, with wickedness and with wickedness prospering. And in verse 14 of Psalm 73, for all the day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Had I spoken thus, I would have been untrue and dealt treacherously against the generation of your children. But when I considered this, how to understand this, it was too great an effort for me until I went in to the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. You do set the wicked in slippery places. You cast them down in destruction. How are they become a desolation in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. Now, the psalmist, David, was writing, and he could not understand the justice of God. But where did he get the understanding of the justice of God? In the sanctuary of the Father. And when Jesus talked so much about knowing the Father and the Son, it has a hundred thousand reasons to do that.
But when we know the heart of God, all these other things settle away. They settle away. Well, why is it that the wicked prosper? Walk into the sanctuary of God. That will be settled in your heart. Why is it that things seem to go from bad to worse in the last three years for me? Walk into the sanctuary of God. Because in the sanctuary of God, there's revelation. There's revelation because we see him as he is. There was a particular woman who had a terrible time in life. And her name was Annie Johnson Flint. And she was born in 1866. And it was one of these things, Ken, where it looked good at the beginning. And she was born to some Christian parents, and she had a sister, and it looked good. And then when she was three years old, both her parents died. But it still looked good because she went into another Christian home. And those people raised her, and it worked out very well. And she was a promising young woman and had been in church and had loved the Lord. And then when she was in her 20s, she began to get what we would recognize now is just an early onset of severe arthritis. And I know you have seen people that have what I would call contorting arthritis, you know, where their limbs are contorted like this and they just can't move. To ask them to write their name is impossible. They can't hold a pencil between their fingers. And that's what she had. And everybody just went, oh my gosh. And then her second set of parents died. And she was all alone in the world except for her sister. And she had a meager income that you would just call barely self-sustaining. But she was so bad, she was limited to wheelchairs and pillows. People would have to come in and change her pillows to keep her from getting sores. Because in a chair, she could not move her arms sufficiently to move a pillow. She was that, um, it was that bad. And the Lord gave her some verse. She was able to write some stuff. And what she did, people would come to see her. She would dictate it, and they would write it down. Occasionally, she could write just a little bit. And she wrote a, a song that we have used. This is not the song I'm thinking she would write. And this is her song. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, multiplied peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Now, when I think about that condition, that would be the last song I would think this woman would write. But she had entered the sanctuary. She knew the Lord. She didn't know of the Lord. She knew the Lord. And when you know the Lord, the reconciliation of why does this not proceed according to my plan slides away.
because we recognize we don't know the plan. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know why this is. It's like Candy was up here saying that the Lord stirred on her heart to give thanks that she was able to push. I've told Helen that one of the things I'm giving up in life now is looking in the mirror when I'm shaving. I'm no longer looking at this face. It's too discouraging. Now I know what's inside, but the outside is fading away. And it is fading away. I think I told you all this, I don't know, but I had a bump on the side of my eye here and I was gonna have to get it off and I went to the plastic surgeon lady and she said, look, I'm gonna do this and you're not even gonna know I did the surgery. And I said, whoa, that is an arrogant surgeon. How in the world could you have that feeling? But she said, you're not even gonna see it. And she took that thing off and I had a bandage for a while and then I went in there and I went to the mirror maybe three months later and I looked at that, th that, that place right there and I said, she said I wouldn't see anything, but I can see something. There are these three big crevices that just spread out from there. She didn't do what she said. And then I looked at my other eye and there were three big crevices <laughs> spreading out from my other eye. You see, but we have been called to the immortal. We are not of the Jerusalem which is below. We are of the Jerusalem which is above. And when Paul was called out on this, he said, I do not reckon the sufferings of this present age to be compared to the glory to be revealed in me. And Paul had some sufferings, five times whipped one short of 40. He had sufferings. He was stoned. He went through all these different things. And he said, I don't consider this to be even be compared. Now, I don't want to minimize this. When you have pain, you have pain. This isn't saying forget you have pain. You have pain. That's something that happens. And I can't give you explanations for all the things that go on with people, but I do know who we walk with. And that he takes us through difficult places. He is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And he walks and says, be encouraged because I am with you. And that's the last thing he gave to us. The last words he gave to us is, and I will be with you always. Now, if we had chosen the last thing that Jesus could give to us, many people would choose and say, what I would like is an expository New Testament that explains in detail what you meant when you said these different things and shows me all the knowledge and wisdom. But you see, the Bible says that he was made unto us wisdom. We want to take men's thinking of wisdom and put it on Jesus. And Jesus is trying to lift us out of that. If I was getting up this morning and we were driving over to the church, and I was getting in my car and Helen said, I don't want to drive. I want to take a big wheel. I'm just going to go to Skyland and drive this big wheel. Well, I would say something to Helen like, listen, the driving is really much better. There's a lot of problems. Well, I want to do the big wheel. But that's the way God views a lot of things that we do. He has got something that's so much better, but we are down at a level and we keep asking God to come infuse that level 
Don't change me, Lord. I want to change you. You come in and bless what I want to do. John got up and quoted the verse from Psalm 40. Wait patiently on the Lord. If there's one thing, not one thing, but among things that I know need to get better in my life is waiting patiently. I don't wait patiently. I have to think the Lord has a time and I want to do today what the Lord wants done. And this has been something the Lord has convicted me about, that my vision is very rarely, today, Lord, what would you have me to be? Today, I'm, I'm a little bit like Luke Skywalker, always looking away you are. Do you know what I mean? Never your eyes on the now. But you say, the Bible says this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Well, in my day, I want to say this day is moving towards something where we'll finish this thing, and in two weeks that'll be done, and then we'll rejoice. And that is not the way God intends for us to live our life. He intends for us to live our life. I am with you now. I am your joy this morning. I am your joy this afternoon. And what we're walking through, we're going to see what happens, but that doesn't change your joy. In the scripture, it says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden in the middle of the field. And a man goes and sells all that he has to purchase the field out of pure joy. Out of joy. Jesus is the treasure in the middle of the field. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is Jesus as Lord and King. And the man went and bought the field not out of duty, but out of joy for the treasure. We see the Lord as treasure some. He wants to be seen as treasure all the time. Um, Helen, and, Helen likes to, we, when we're thinking about doing things together, it's very important for people when they do things together to me to be able to interact one with another. An encouraging word means everything. If I just come and talk to Helen and she says, you know, I'm confident you're going to make it through that. That just is an encouraging word. Paul spoke and said it was of God that he sent Titus to me. Titus was such an encouragement to me. Thank God that he sent Titus. We all want to be like Titus. We want to be that when we come in, there's a lifting because of the Lord in us. So when God is talking and saying, today is the day that the Lord is made, he is saying, like in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So when I have a weak area, Jack, the last thing I do is boast about that weakness. I, I'm so, Paul is on a different planet from me, or I should say I'm on a different planet from him. When I come into something, I end up saying, and I say this to Helen, she's very patient with me about this, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I say that as a confession of weakness. I don't have the ability to do that. And I know what the Lord wants, that the Lord wants me to say, I am in a place where I can't go through without him, but praise God, I'm not going anywhere without him. 
I'm going with him so I can boast in my weakness and say that the Lord be glorified in this situation where I'm weak. Now, only God can do that. A civic club can't do that. Only God can do that. Only God can work within us that we rejoice in the place that we're weak because in the place that we're weak, His glory is manifest. Now, you're in terrible trouble if you're not walking with Him. You've got to be walking with Him. But our minds need to be, Lord, in this day, let me walk with you where you want to go. If I hear a weak place, thank you, Lord, I'm in a weak place that your glory be manifest. If you've given me strength to do it, thank you that you've built me to have strength to do the task at hand. And that was what was in Paul. And he says that God gives us comfort in those situations because they can be discouraging. Um, you know, you hear about people praying for people for long periods of time. Somebody will say, uh, you know, in a testimony, my mom was praying for me for 15 years. Well, 15 years to me is beyond patience. That's, I can't understand, that's just forever and ever. But the Lord has purposes. And when he says to pray for one another, it's important we follow what the Lord says. His purposes will come to fruition. Remember what he said about his word? His word would not return unto him void, but it would accomplish that which he pleases in the place whereunto he sends it. And that's our lives. When our lives are given over to him, we accomplish the thing he pleases in the places whereunto we're sent. I'm going to dare say that if you take a look at your life, upwards of 50% of the things that happen to you are not the way you would have done it. It's certainly true in my life. Maybe your percentage is different. It's certainly true in my life. Um, and I benefit from being with Helen all these years in practical ways, in spiritual ways, because of our association. That is how we are with the Lord. When you walk with Him day by day by day by day, you gradually get to your place where you can't come in any way imagine walking out without Him. It would be an emptiness. It would be an emptiness. You can't perceive that. And so when, when Celia was sharing about the guy dancing before the Lord, this is always what happens when you're obedient to the Lord. You do the thing that the Lord asks, and then within a certain time, you give a testimony saying, my gosh, we should have obeyed the Lord because once I began to dance before the Lord, I was able to worship Him. And now it doesn't matter what comes across my path during the day because the Lord is here with me. And it all started with just simply doing something I didn't think was important, but I did it because God said it was important. I want to say that again. Something I wouldn't have done, but I did it because God said it needed to be done. And this, of course, is in the Song of Solomon. The transition of the bride was that the Lord came to her door and knocked on the door at an inconvenient time when she was already in bed. And she points out, I'm already in bed. What do you want me to do? I've taken off my clothes. I have gotten into my bed clothes. The Lord came and asked at an inconvenient time, and the only reason to respond was that it was the Lord. There was no other reason to respond. The Lord didn't say, you have to come out because there's a fire in your room. No. 
It's just, I'm here. I am here, and I'm calling to you. And it's inconvenient. And so what happens once she does that? Once she responded at an inconvenient time, all the way in the Song of Solomon up till that time, she had never called her beloved beautiful. Now, he had called her beautiful a lot. But she hadn't said one thing about him being beautiful. And once you did that thing that was inconvenient and got up and followed him, all of a sudden, her revelation of her beloved changed dramatically. And she began to describe him as beautiful from head to toe. It took her five verses to do it. I mean, we went through cheeks and everything. I'm not going to go through everything, but if you read that, you'll see she goes through everything and she says, have you seen my beloved? He's beautiful. But do you know what happened there? The watchman, before when she had been looking for her beloved, the watchman had asked and said, well, where, why are you out looking for? Well, I'm looking for my beloved. And they were okay with that. But when she got up in the middle of the night, in the inconvenient time, and went out to look for her beloved, instead of the watchman saying, that's okay, they caught her and beat her. They caught her and beat her. Now, why is that? Because amongst Christians, it's okay when the Lord is being asked to bless what I want to do. That is acceptable. It is not acceptable for me to ask the Lord, what would you have me to do? I will do it your way. And when you adopt that in your life, Christian peers will beat on you. Because that's saying that you surrender, that you give yourself over. And once you've given yourself over, my life is no longer my life. It's his. It's what it means that Jesus be the king. It, it's what it means that Jesus be the Lord. We've lived in a democracy for a long time. But you need to read in the Bible about a king. A king is the king. The king doesn't go, I'd like to submit this bill to Congress. The king says, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's a king. And for Jesus to be the king, he is the king. It isn't, can he get enough votes to pass what he would like to do? He is the Almighty. And it's a wonderful thing that he is that way. But we need to recognize that he's that way. Once you surrender to the Lord that way, now you become a problem. And why are you a problem? You're a problem because you show up the falsity of the religion of other people. And that's why you're a problem. Because no one, very few people are going to say, well, no, some people will say for sure, but most people want to have something to do with religion. And they know they've got to have something to do with religion because at the very least, they know they're going to die. And if you listen to these people get up and say, well, when you die, you just cease to exist. There's no more of you. There's nothing to it in anything you're doing to prepare. That's it. They're not willing to accept that. And they're not willing to accept that for many reasons. I'm not going to go into all of them. But that's the fatalist position of a materialist world that says you're no more 
than the compilation of atoms and molecules bouncing around in your brain. You have no purpose any more than that. And anything you feel about love or care is a concoction you came up with. And people know that's not true. They know there's something to love. And they know, interestingly enough, that there's something to evil because they can see evil. You cannot say it is okay for a man to rape a seven-year-old girl. You cannot say there is no right and wrong. It's only atoms and molecules bumping into each other. So if a man rapes a seven-year-old girl, that is not wrong. If you take that position, people are going to be able to see you have missed your worldview. Because it is wrong. It's written inside of us. God has let us see it clearly. We know that that's wrong. And because we know of the evil in the world, it's easier for us to see the righteousness. And we have plenty of experiences to let us know there's something after death. So a lot of people are in religion because you certainly got to cover that. In my life personally, when I was young, sitting in, wasn't here, was downstairs, but I would listen to sermons and I wanted to make sure I was getting into heaven. It bothered me if I was going to miss heaven. And I would walk out and I usually felt pretty good because they talked about love and peace and I can get into that. Every once in a while, some preacher would preach on sin. And I would walk out feeling terrible because I was guilty of almost every one of those sins he talked about. And I didn't feel assured about getting in heaven at all. Of course, I was getting to heaven based on a school report card. If you talked about love, I wasn't an A+, but I was a B-. minus. You know, I didn't kick my sisters. You know, if you don't kick your sisters, you're at least a B-. minus. I don't remember kicking my sisters anyway. You know, I mean, I was deceiving, but everybody's deceiving, you know. But I would listen to those things, and I was worried about my eternal destiny. What's going to happen to you, Jim? And I mean, I was 10, 11, 12 years old. I knew this thing was on the line. And so I, those things would bother me. But people have got to get that straight so they have enough religion to cover them when they're dead. And this is people that periodically bounce in and out of the church. They don't want to lose track of it, but they don't want to be in it. And this whole concept of giving your whole life to Christ is completely foreign to them. And other people then move to a place. And these things we've described before, they move to a place that said, I've got to pay more attention to do things like Jesus wanted done. I've got to do more of that. They understand that and they move and they get trapped in their own strength. Because if you don't walk with the Lord and you try to become a Christian on the basis of your, of your flesh and you try to just pull your flesh up by the bootstraps and be a strong Christian, you will be frustrated because you do not have the power. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Not you will be less effective. And yet many people go into religion and do this very thing. I was saved only because of what he did. Nothing that I could do about it except to receive his free gift. But then the walking of the Christian life is now up to me. And I have got to figure out a way to generate the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I have got to make sure there's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And if I can't do that, that's on me. And God's going to be upset with me. But the scripture doesn't say it's the fruit of Jim's flesh. 
It says it's the fruit of the Spirit of God. And when you walk with God, you find it. He who began the good work continues it on till the day of Jesus Christ. You find that the Lord is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one that empowers. It even says of Jesus, you know, when Jesus said you didn't understand things, you don't understand things because you don't know the scripture nor the power of God. And when it says that Jesus was made unto us sanctification, that means Jesus was made unto us growth as a Christian into his image. And you cannot go down that path unless you were going in him. There is no other way to do it. And the enemy makes huge advantage of this. He discourages Christians all the time. He has people going, how long have you been a Christian? Well, I've been a Christian 15 years. Seems like after 15 years, you wouldn't tell any more lies. Boy, it seems like after 15 years, you wouldn't say disparaging things about other people. I mean, as a Christian, you can't be better than a D. That's the enemy. Why? We know that's the enemy. He is the accuser of the brethren. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he puts all that down. And worse than that, he jumps in on unworthy. When we're Christians, when we first come to the Lord, we are, Celia, cleanly aware we are not worthy. When you come before the Lord, we are with Paul that says, there does not dwell within me a good thing. That is a sobering verse to read me. There is no good thing that dwells within me. Because the world would look at you and say, Ken, you're a nice person. When you grew up, you were generally nice to people. You were in a big family. You kept the peace somewhat. You know, you, you are a pretty good person. You walked through things. You were helpful. Your mom asked you to do things. You did one out of three. You know, you were a pretty good person. And we rank you according to our culture. And God ranks you according to his holiness, which is why Jesus said you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But we rank each other according to our culture. Jesus never did that. But when we rank according to what God says, we see our unworthiness and that only he can rescue from our sins. And that in Isaiah where he says, come, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We know what that means. We know that out of the heart proceeds evil things. That's what Jesus said. We know that Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. And we recognize that our natural nature is not godly, but is evil. And we recognize that before we're saved. And we come to the Lord and we recognize he is the only salvation. There's no other way to go. He is the only salvation. And the enemy bemoans the fact that he's lost us, but he does not give up the fight. And as soon as we become a Christian, he jumps down a different pathway. And he says something like this. He says, Jack, you were smart to go to Jesus. You were smart because he is the only way and he is the only rescuer. And now, Jack, look at all he's done for you. And now, Jack, it's your turn. You have got to be, Jack, a good Christian. And you know, Jack, what a good Christian is? A good Christian has all these Christian virtues always working in their life. And Jack, you've got to be that person. Best of luck to you, Jack. That was Satan. That was Satan. And the reason I say that that was Satan is 
that he puts the onus on Jack. You have got to figure out a way for all this to happen. You couldn't save yourself. God did that. But from here on, it's you. And then Jack goes, crud, I am a Christian. I do have to be a light. They keep talking about being a bright light. My light's about 12 watts and not even LED, you know, and, and I, I don't really project out Jesus and I've got to get these things straightened out. So we try to pick ourselves up with our own strength and we get discouraged because we can't do it because we can only grow through the power that's in Jesus because he was made unto us as sanctification. He was made. But we don't know him that way. We know him on the side. We know him as Savior. And sometimes we don't know him really as Savior. But we know him a little bit and we don't know him that way. We don't know that he is the power of God. We don't know the Lord this way, but he is that way. And we settle for things that our culture says are okay. And then after a while, Jack gets very discouraged because he can honestly say he hasn't made much progress in the last 10 years. And Jack's wife may point out to him, you're still as obstinate and stubborn as you were before you were a Christian. And it shoots him right through the heart. Now, his wife would never say that. That's why I can say this to Jack. But, but that's what people say. Well, what has really changed? What can you give an accounting of? But you see, in the scripture says, before his presence... No flesh shall glory. And if Jack figured out a way to pump love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control, if he figured out a way to get all that to work and stood before the Lord and said, you saved me and after you saved me, I did this for you. That would be Jack and his flesh glorying before the Lord. And before the Lord, no flesh shall glory. We cannot do that, but we can enter in to him who does it. And so the enemy, I want to pick this off really quickly though, he really points to unworthy. And he might come to Jack, Jack, I'm leaning on you heavy here, but he might come to Jack 10 or 12 years later and say, Jack, you know, the Lord's invested 12 years of time with you. I don't know if you're worthy of that much effort anymore, Jack. You know, what's really going to change? Why should the Lord be paying that much more attention to you? And he makes you feel unworthy. Now, this is a strange thing to say. He makes Christians feel unworthy of the attention of the Father. Satan makes Christians feel unworthy of the attention of the Father. And he does that by pointing out their shortcomings and discouraging them about the future and any good thing that can be happened. And this is important. And alternate explanations for why events have happened in your life. Alternate explanations for why events happen in your life. So Satan could say to Candy, well, Candy, there's a straightforward reason here that you're having to work so hard when you're old and put out and be tired. That's certainly not abundant life, Candy. And the Lord promised abundant life, so somewhere you missed the track here. And so if you'll really search, you'll find out that you're not nearly the person that you thought. Furthermore, Candy, you ought to seriously consider stop leading songs in worship. If you can't get it straight between you and the Lord, how can you lead others to the throne? Do you hear? 
if you don't recognize that the enemy is deceptive and tries to make you feel unworthy, you'll fall for it. You'll fall for it. None of us is ever worthy, but he makes it feel like that since you're unworthy, God won't pay attention to you and your situation. Now, this is particularly bothersome because we're really aware of our own faults. I mean, I can give you a list of my faults. And by saying what I'm saying here, most of the time the things I talk about are places I keep falling into those holes over and over without excuse. But the, he makes us a keenly aware of our own faults. And once he's made us keenly aware of our own faults, he leads that to you are unworthy and leads that to you can't expect a close relationship with the Father because you're ugly in this area. So many people that are caught in sex trafficking are caught in it because their pimp keeps tell, telling them, now you're damaged goods, or words to that effect. And you can't go anywhere. Nobody wants you. And so your only place to live is here. And this is Satan. That's what he does. You can't be close to the Father. All these new Christians, they may have a great thing, but look at your life. You have spent your time and you're no longer worthy to go. Now, when he does that unworthiness, the big thing I want to point out is he quickly wants you to be separated from fellowship. And therefore, Jack, since you're not really worthy, you really shouldn't be hanging around these other Christians. You're not really a good example. You know, they know it, Jack, by the way. They're so kind they don't tell you, but they know it. And so it's probably not the best thing to go to services, but maybe sit in the back and don't really get into that interaction with people and the fellowship, because that's where things begin to open up and that's where you'll be the most vulnerable. Words to that effect. You know what I'm saying. Because if he can isolate Jack so that the encouragement of the brethren isn't there, then it makes it much, much harder for Jack to go on. It's really great to have a husband and wife that love the Lord because it's hard to isolate them. Do you see? If I'm ever having a hard time, Helen will look at me in some way saying, well, the Lord's here, something to that effect. And I tend to take encouragement from how circumstances change. And we should always take encouragement. It's because the Lord's here this morning, because the Lord's here this afternoon. So the enemy comes in on unworthiness. I'm, I'm about to pull it together here. So when it says he brought me out of a pit, this is so... Psalm 42 has got to be a good verse for this morning because it was in the song and in John's thing. And it's the third verse I've got on my list. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. The Lord picks us up out of the miry clay every day. Every day. This past week, we had plans they got thrown completely the wrong way. My grandson came over to visit, and we, he had not felt good, and we had waited a couple of days, and we did a COVID test. And then we said, this to be sure, we'll do a COVID test on the next day. We did another COVID test. They were both negative. Said, okay, he can come over to our house for a few days. He comes over to our house, and in six hours, he's got a fever of 102.4, goes home, takes a test. He has COVID. He's been running around in our house. This is why Helen has a mask on right now. Well, that was not the plan. 
If I'm associated with anybody that's got COVID, I cannot go to work for 10 days. That's it, flat. I can't go in for 10 days. And this little guy was just sitting on my sofa. Now, I didn't get close to him, but that was not the plan. And I don't have a revelation for you right now to say because that happened, God was glorified in some special way. I don't have that. But will I let something like that, which is clearly an inconvenience, affect my relationship with the Lord and the way that I approach every day of my life? And the answer to that is no. Because Jesus is so much higher, this is a flit of a fly that's got to be pushed away. But if Jesus isn't so much higher, it's a big inconvenience that lots of people have got to hear about because I was put out. Do you hear? But if Jesus is really exalted, it's a flit of a fly. So Jesus is trying to take us to that place. He's trying to take us to the place where we're in the sanctuary of the Most High. It's not by chance that the entrance to the Holy of Holies was split from top to bottom. The veil was split. In Hebrews, it says to boldly enter inside the veil. And inside the veil is the presence of the Father. To boldly go in there. And then all of life goes the reverse of Isaiah 4. It has nothing to do with me invoking your name to justify what I want to do. It has everything to do with me asking you, Lord, let me be a light and with you today. And what I'm involved in is up to you. If it doesn't go the direction I want, it's up to you. You see, we, we, I, I feel bad in my life. When Jesus opened up praying, he said, the Father already knows what you need before you ask him. The reason that Jesus said that is we pray as if the Father doesn't know what we need. He knows what we need. Now, I very much believe in praying and giving the Lord the details. It's helpful for us. But it's not new knowledge for him. But it's good for us. But we need to recognize he is so far up and above. This is the one reason I think the James Webb telescope is going to be nice. Now, you know, no, you weren't ready for that sentence. But the James Webb telescope they've just put up here in about the last month, and it's looking deeper and deeper into all the galaxies, and they're putting up these incredible pictures. And I, I heard the thing on the other day with this guy, a really famous physicist, talking about it. And he goes, well, they're rewriting a whole lot of the ways we thought things happened, and we just can't even keep up with it. And he made the point that instead of scientists writing papers and sending them out to journals, that was taking, there were so many new things that were being found that scientists had decided to report, you'll love this, to report their findings on Twitter. Because it was just coming out too fast. So they're putting out all their findings on Twitter, social media, just so that you can see it. This is amazing. But it shows the handiwork of the Father. And one thing our generation will be judged for is that we can see the handiwork of the Father immensely more than any generation before because of what we can see in space and in the, in the galaxies. We can see it. It completely blows our... There's no way we can walk out of this going, you know, this is just a simple thing. There's nothing to it. The order, the beauty, all of that God displays so that we'll know God's God. And that he is divine and he is powerful. That's what it says that we see in nature. That he is divine and that he is powerful. So 
This is being spread to the whole world. Because where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And when we see the sin, the Lord's going to use us to help superabound the grace. But the call on us is this. Come to me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm convicted regularly that my yoke is not easy. And the reason it's not easy is that I'm trying to bear both sides of the yoke on this particular issue. And I've got to have the Lord in there. Now, I'm just going to close with this one thing. Because, Karen, I will invite the Lord in and say, Lord, this is a difficult issue. We're working with a difficult issue in the Skyland Church right now. We all invite the Lord in. I invite the Lord in and say, this is a difficult issue. <clears throat> and the Lord jumped on me and he said, Jim, when you invite me in, this is what you mean. I was not ready for this. He said, what you mean is you want me to come and explain to you, number one, why did it have to happen this way? Number two, what's going to happen in the short term future? And number three, how do I want you to interact with it now and in six months? And I said, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what, that's what I want. And he said, well, you've, got to, you've got to invite me in not knowing what I'm going to do or say. You just have to invite me in. Lord, here it is. The, the scripture says, the word in the scripture in 1 Peter, to cast all your cares on the Lord is a casting and a releasing. It's not a share all your cares with the Lord. It's a casting of your cares on the Lord, for He cares about you, 1 Peter 5, 7. So I have to be careful because my inviting the Lord in, it was really shallow. And this is a big growing place for me. Now, sometimes the Lord does reveal, and He just shows you. That's fine. But if He doesn't reveal, He still wants us to be faithful and trusting. And the last verse I want to say is in Hebrews eleven six. it says, For without faith it is impossible to please Him. They that come unto God must believe two things, that He is and that He rewards those who seek Him. And when the enemy is banging down the door hard, God says, I reward those who seek Me. In every part of life, I reward those those who seek me. And he is that reward, but he will reveal himself in such a marvelous way that we'll see him and that we'll recognize that all these other things of life are like flits of a fly, but they don't seem like flits of a fly without the Lord. Without the Lord, they seem like traffic accidents. But with the Lord, he put, he'll make them so that we see his glory and his purpose and love that so these things are not big things because he's walking with us in the midst of them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for saving us, rescuing us from the power of sin. We thank you for being our sanctification that we grow into your image. Please, Lord, let our hearts be given over to you in a way that pleases you. Let our minds work with you in a way that pleases you. Let our lives be given to you, Lord, 
so that you are glorified and we are less self-centered and self-concerned about what happens to me. I confess, Lord, this is a problem for me. And I confess that you are the solution. I ask you help us to enter into the sanctuary of the Most High, to know you in fullness, that we, Lord, might be faithful to show your glory in this world, that your purposes be done, that your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.